Hello, everybody. This is Barry Feeker, Executive Director of the Topeka Rescue Mission. At least for now, you're listening to Our Community, Our Mission on March the 1st of 2022. Good morning, Marion Crable. Good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful. Look at the sun shining. Isn't it amazing? How could I not be wonderful? March 1st, and it's going to get almost 70 degrees, or no, over 70 degrees. Mm-hmm. 80 yeah, degrees tomorrow. Yeah, were saying almost 80. That, yeah. Okay, that's kind of not right, though. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's It shouldn't be that warm so yet. we're probably going to have a blizzard in May. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Marion Crable, Director of Supportive Services. Lamanda Broyles, who is our Director of Ministry Operations for now. For and, now. And uh, we've announced that you are the incoming next Executive Director to Topeka Rescue Mission. Yes. Taking on April 22nd of yes. this year. And so that's why I say I'm Executive Director for now, which we talked <laughs> in last week's uh, podcast about that. And so, Miriam, um, we've uh, given you, um, with fear and trembling, the floor here <laughs> oh, to yeah. uh, talk to us uh, and ask us questions I about know. history and uh, kind of the past, the present, and the future yeah. um, and, uh, and all that. So, uh, you know, I, I want to pause here before we do that. Uh, the world's in trouble right now. Yes, it's it a is. great, great challenge right now. Yes. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about Topeka, Kansas, homelessness, the rescue mission. But uh, what's going on in Europe right now, in the Ukraine, and, and uh, what's happening with Russia, and what's happening with the whole world? And tonight is the State of the Union address uh, by the President of the United States. So I just think that uh, as we um, talk today, just, you know, we're keeping in mind that this is very important what we're talking about, but also there's things that are on a much larger scale of importance um, about our world and what's going on, That not that what uh, the homeless here in Topeka and the hungry and, and so forth are not important, but just remember to pray for our world today. Yes. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and so let's just do that now. Father, we, uh, we just come to you and, and just thank you for um, just being with us in all things. And uh, Lord, we know this is a broken world, that there are many, many challenges. We pray for those um, who are being evacuated from their homes, mm-hmm. who are leaving their country for safety. We just pray, God, for an intervention against... Uh, these forces that would try to bring harm to other people. Uh, we ask God uh, that you'd give wisdom to the leaders of our country, mm-hmm. of our of our world, on how to respond to a very volatile, volatile time. Mm-hmm. But also, Lord, we have uh, needs before us, even in our own community right now, people who struggle, people who have always struggled, people who will struggle. Just we pray for wisdom on a global basis. We pray, pray for wisdom and, and guidance on a national basis and on a local basis here in our community. Thank you for the Topeka Rescue Mission. Thank you for the discussion that we'll have today about the past, the present, and the future. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Marion Crable. So, yes, uh, you have Lamanda and I here, and I we uh, we will attempt to answer your questions about yeah. this transition <laughs> of uh, of. Uh, What's going to have to be happening at Topeka Rescue Mission? The power that I hold. I was oh just about to say, we've given you way too much power. <laughs> uh, Isn't that the truth? Well, I'm gonna, uh, I'm all gonna... those times that I did those trick questions for you, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But remember, I didn't do that, Miriam. We're friends, okay? <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, you know, I, I'll try to remember. Okay. I'll try right, to remember. Right, right. Your apology. <laughs> your. I'm pleading, Miriam. Your apology. <laughs> Let's see, blackmailing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, Barry? We, we did last week. We kind of talked about what's happening now, mm-hmm. you know, the changes that are coming, the transition, um, how God has really had his hand in all of this. Mm-hmm. So as Josh and I were talking, as a number of us were talking, we thought that it might be kind of interesting for the folks that are listening to hear a little bit about the past as mm-hmm. well. <laughs> so I think, Barry, I'm going to start with you. And so... When you think back to when you first got here, so not that long ago, right? No, Only about ago. 36 yeah. years ago. <laughs> um, what was your perception of at that time of the homeless? That's a great question. Um, I didn't know much about the homeless. Um, my, my journey here wasn't to come fix the homeless problem, to solve homelessness. I didn't know anything about it. I'd worked in mental health. Mm-hmm. I'd worked in uh, church work with uh, being a uh, youth pastor. Yeah. Um, and uh, my quest to come here was more of uh, just obedience to God. You know, it, it unfolded um, that I was supposed to be here. So I really walked in the first day uh, of the rescue mission, April 1st of, uh, uh, April 21st of 1986, and, and, and didn't know a clue. Other than I was supposed to be the director of the rescue mission, and there was no other staff here except part-time bookkeeper. And and then some homeless folks that Uh were in the shelter. And so walking in, I knew I needed to learn a lot from them Mm -hmm. um, of what it was going to be about. And, And so... My glimpse of homelessness wasn't about knowledge of people in the streets, wasn't about knowledge of 
what anything had happened to the rescue mm-hmm. mission historically because I really didn't get any history on it. Yeah. Um, but I was going to be the director of a place that people came to when they had no place else to turn. Sure. So actually that first day, yeah. I had zero understanding of what it would be about. So then maybe the question should be, what was your first impression? Well, yeah, great question. You know, so there was this guy, Mr. Betts, um, who was working at the front desk. I would later understand that he was formerly homeless in Chicago. Um, he was probably all of about four feet, eight inches tall. He had no hair. He had wire rim glasses. He was sitting in a chair that was way too big for him. And he was behind this desk. He could barely see over, but he was the front desk guy. <laughs> and he had a big cigar hanging out of his mouth that was lit. Uh-huh. And I walked up to him and I said, hi, I'm Barry. He goes, I know who you are. Uh-huh. I didn't say it very politely either. And uh, I said, uh, okay. Um, I said, where do I go? Now, Miriam, this is not the normal way you take a job, okay? You normally kind of investigate it. But back in those days, I'm just going, you know, God said, I go do, okay? And uh, kind of strange, not the best plan. I don't recommend it for everybody. But I walked into the doors, the director, never had been in the mission before. Mm-hmm. Never first day I walked in through the doors as executive director. You know, I'm a coat and a tie. Yeah, I noticed you didn't need to wear one of those around uh-huh, here. Uh-huh. So, um, Mr. Betts said to me, he said, um, "Your office is around the corner. Um, there's keys on the desk that belong to you." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, what do I do?" And he goes, um, "I would just stay in there until it's time to go home tonight." That's oh my goodness. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that's what he said. Um, later on, um, I would hear him when a guy came to the front desk, um, and he um, said, "Hey, uh, I need a place to stay. Can I, can I get a bed here tonight?" Mister Betts w- said to him, "What the blank do you think we're here for?" Fill in the blank. <laughs> and I knew at that point we got uh, a little bit of an attitude problem here. We've got some things that I don't understand if what we do here. Other than we shelter people and feed people, and we need to we need to do some cleaning up. And so, but you just don't want to throw everybody out on the streets, which came from the streets that are yeah. running the place. So I had to learn a lot about who our personnel were working here. And I, I have to be honest with you, Topeka Rescue Mission had its great times in the past, from when it was founded in 1953. But come this time, April 21st of 1986, things were not in good shape, mm. and um, it was about ready to close. Oh, my goodness. So you came into a place that you knew nothing about with folks that were not necessarily nice to you, and you tried to save some place that was sinking. Yeah, and I didn't know any of that. And so it was a good thing, or I'd never taken the job, no matter what God said. You know, nobody told me about these things. And so, you know, my night man was a, was a man who uh, was hebephrenic schizophrenic. He was answering the phones and talking to himself most of the night, and he was fighting with himself. And there was one time I was called down in the middle of the night because there was a riot going on. I got here and I walked in and here's this gentleman. Uh, There's a story in in Darkness of Light Still Shines about Terrence. And uh, and, uh, he... um, he, uh, I asked him, I said, what's the fight? What's what's going on, Terrence? And he said, what fight? There was no fight. Well, what I found out later is that he was fighting with himself with unseen others. Oh. So here was a th- situation where people were wanting to come in off the streets to get a place to stay that they felt safe in, but it wasn't safe. Yeah. And so um, I remember six months after I'd been here, a pastor friend of mine came up to me and says, well, what do you think about the Topeka Rescue Mission? I said, well, I really don't understand why God hasn't really caused a great big hole to form on Kansas Avenue and it for it to be swallowed up. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, things of this nature take a lot to maintain them, to get them in order and those kind of things. I didn't know any of that, but yeah. God had a plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it had started out great. There'd been great leadership in the past, but there was a leadership vacuum here. And unfortunately, the homeless, the best that they understood, were doing the best that they could. But, yeah. you know, they had their own baggage that were coming in to run it. They couldn't find anybody to run the rescue mission. Didn't have yeah. any money. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I came in naive, which was good. Yes. But um, just was watching the hand of the Lord going, no, we're not going to leave it this way. Yeah. We're going to take this very important ministry that he established and we're going to clean it up. Sure. And um, so it wasn't easy. There was a lot of testing going on. I can only imagine that that was the case. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine. Well, okay, so Lamanda, you haven't been here even 10 years, but let's go back for the 10 months. Yes. So do you feel like your perception of the folks that we serve, and whether it's the folks on the street or the folks that are in our shelter, has your perception changed at all of the of, of, of who we serve? You know, Miriam, I don't think it has. So... 
Um, some of my first experiences with homelessness um, was actually when I was a child. My mom said um, that I always put her in uncomfortable situations for herself. Uh-huh. Um, we would be at the grocery store or, you know, that was before Walmart was super centers. So we yeah. had the small little Walmarts in our hometown um, in Arkansas. And if I saw someone that was sitting out there or seemed sad, she said, you know, she would turn around and I would not be walking in with her yeah. because I would be talking to the person. And so that that's not anything um, that attributes me. That's just the seed that I think God planted for seeing people Mm -hmm. and seeing people not in the same way that most society sees them, um, but seeing them as someone who is possibly hurting, someone who could be sad, someone who's misunderstood. And so I've always just kind of had that love and that desire to not just look on the outside, which could be dirtiness or talking to themselves or um, them asking for needs, really looking at them to say, why? What's gotten them here? Um, And so fast forward back in, it was probably 2010, I guess, um, our church in Arkansas, um, it was laid on one of our leaders' hearts to do an awareness for homelessness. And that was really my first experience in saying, we're going to bring awareness to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was in my early 20s and um, jumped on board and helped um, do some PR for it. And it was an event that was held at a high school track. And we camped out overnight. Um, and we didn't have food and we had to build our own tents and just things like that. And um, I remember walking around that track and uh was by myself and saying a prayer and saying, Lord, this is a fun event. Um, And on one hand, I'm glad because this is bringing awareness. People were attending the event, that kind of thing. But it also broke my heart because I knew that there's just a lot of things that are not fun Mm. when that's your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, my heart just broke again in in 2010. It was in November um, where I said, Lord, let me really understand what these people go through. Mm. I really want to understand this, that I'm just doing this overnight. It's cold. Yes, I don't have anything to eat. I'm uncomfortable. Um, But I truly don't still have an understanding. And so I don't know, then I started just really working with poverty and things like that in the schools. So fast forward to now, I've had this idea of what I've seen in the past and saying, I want to know what that looks like now on the streets of Topeka. I want to know what that looks like when a guest comes in and registers. What are they dealing with? And I would have to say that my perspective really hasn't changed. They're people. They might be people that have concerns and issues that they're struggling with, um, but they're people with stories. They were at one time a loved one. They might still be a loved one of someone. um, And we have to look at them that way. And I don't ever want to get to a place where I forget to be engaging and investigating the whys of people mm. and their stories. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And that it started so, so young for you, I mm-hmm. think is amazing. And it, it makes it kind of um, obvious then why you'd be here right now. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. Yeah, makes sense. And I'm guessing she asked more questions than you did, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did, yes. <laughs> and you know, one thing that I, that I feel like I want to share is... Um, I hadn't thought about that until just now when you were saying that, Miriam, but I am also thanking the Lord for what he's already doing in my children's lives, Mm. because I see that um, in both of them being able to say, Mama, that person's sad. Can we turn back around and say hello to them? And we do. Um, But I have one daughter in particular that really sees people and she will say, Mama, was that person taken care of when they were my age Mm. or Mama, if we don't stop to talk to them, will anyone stop to talk to them? Mm -hmm. Just questions that normally a seven-year-old doesn't ask. And so, um, I don't know, maybe we need to sign her up to be a TRM employee of, what, 2034? 2034, there you go. There you go. Because she'll be ready by then, right? Uh So, Barry, as you look back over the first five to ten years, so think about that. What do you think your biggest challenges were during those time frames? I think in the very beginning is that, unfortunately, as I said, that the mission had had a leadership vacuum. And so the homeless were really running it and they weren't bad people. They just didn't know what to do. And so my biggest challenge was to take what I had, not get rid of it, start over because there wasn't anybody else. That, you know, there was no money to hire anybody. And so these were folks who were living here and to cultivate a relationship with them, to understand them, number one, um, and to um, have them understand me and really kind of develop a family. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
the Terrence who was talking to himself uh, later uh, once we got him on meds and got things straightened out he became uh, one of our best uh, truck drivers you know to go out and he was great at the front desk and we put him in the kitchen at one time and that didn't work out too well <laughs> we were all saying hey we'd like to eat so Terrence didn't have the gift of cooking uh-huh. uh, but uh, became a great truck driver and and forming that group of that family and then the second biggest um, obstacle or challenge was then taking the importance of what we were doing into a community and helping people to understand it's not just those people, mm. that it's us and that it could happen to anybody. And to be able to try to establish credibility of Topeka Rescue Mission and what it is within a community. Now, it had had it before, but it lost it. Anything can be good and then not be good for a while. And then uh, and, and it almost folded um, in um, July of uh, of uh, 1986, we were about out of money. Actually, we were out of money. And then uh, there was a newspaper article by uh, Tim Rincher, who's still with Capital Journal, mm-hmm. who really kind of brought the attention to people. And we began to build things. I know in the first 24 months that I was at rescue, at the Topeka Rescue Mission, I was invited to speak to 500 different groups mm-hmm. in 24 months. That was a lot of out there in the community. Wow. And, and I never asked if I could speak to any of them. These were calls that came in, whether radio programs, churches, civic clubs, uh, neighborhood groups, whatever, tell us about what the homeless are like. Mm-hmm. And so while it was a challenge from me trying to figure out what it was, yeah, it was such a great time of us beginning to see a community coming together around those who suffer sure. and for me to understand who they were and for us to become more like a family. Yeah. So you just, you just made a remark about that anybody can become homeless. So who is, who, who are the homeless? I mean, describe Describe some of them to us. Well, back in those days, um, the ones that sought the Topeka Rescue were were predominantly men, Mm -hmm. uh, Caucasian, uh, 55 years old was the average age, and alcoholism was the predominant issue. Mm -hmm. But that was 1986. Mm -hmm. Um, As things began to progress and we look at some different societal shifts, we had a few women and kids that would come to the mission back in those days, a few single women, not many. But as we begin to see a shifting in multiple different areas, one being one of my pet peeves is mental health reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said um, as, a, as a state, and has already been done out on the West Coast, um, that we need to go away from institutional support programs for the mentally ill to community-based support programs. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we needed to create more community opportunities for people, but the pendulum swung way over, and eventually we would get rid of three major hospitals uh, mm-hmm. for psychiatric in Topeka. Mm-hmm. Uh, Topeka State, Memorial Hospital, Minnegar, all be gone from here over a period of time. And so we began to see the, um, the demographics change to where we were seeing a lot more folks who used to be um, having a safe place inside of a mental health uh, system. Now we're on the streets um, in a homeless shelter or in jail. And so um, then we began to see the increase of uh, street drugs that were coming um, into our city. Heroin um, was huge, cocaine. Um, were readily available to the homeless population. Uh, the addiction level, um, heroin's back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, cocaine's kind of like, well, no big deal with methamphetamines now mm-hmm. on the streets and fentanyl out there now and these other things. But there were other things that we began to learn of people who were suffering so much that they would do anything, sniffing paint, sniffing gasoline, sniffing paint thinner. Uh, we found out that, um, this is crazy, but uh, we stopped giving out toothpaste in the paste form we would only give out the gel form because if you took toothpaste in the paste form, not the gel, and you would get a piece of aluminum foil and you would spread it out on aluminum foil, it would turn to a powder. And if you got a straw, you could snort it up in your nose and you would get a high. That's how desperate people were. And we For had toothpaste? Toothpaste. Mm. So that they could snort it just like they would Coke to get a high. That's oh. how painful people were experiencing life. And so as things began to shift with mental health, drugs on the streets... We began to see even a more challenge with the nuclear family mm-hmm. and more divorces, more uh, economic upheavals, more children, single parent families. Um, we began to see more women who were displaced. We began to see some women who had uh, been stay at home moms and um, the family broke up and uh, children are grown. And now this older woman has nowhere to turn. Her husband's yeah. not there. The family's not there for her. And she shows up here at the mission. Mm-hmm. So 
where it started when I first came to the mission began to dramatically change over the years. So are these all folks who have just been living in poverty anyway, or? No, no, no. You know, it's uh, predominantly, uh, I would say, people generationally um, experience homelessness. Um, grandparents, parents, kids. Um, there is a, a uh, unless there's opportunity for people to break that cycle, they'll oftentimes end up here. But... Uh, we began to see professional folks that were coming. I remember um, one of the first uh, individuals uh, on a professional level that came to us was a business leader in our community. Um, and then um, we've had uh, medical doctors, uh, people with PhD in science, um, educators, lawyers. Um, and that continues on to today. So we began to realize this issue can hit anybody at any moment in life. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of other related issues with that. Sometimes it's a medical problem like a stroke um, or it's a uh, drug addiction or uh, a mental health challenge um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and some, it's none of that. It's just simply person falls on hard times. Yeah. So, Lamanda, if you were to describe somebody now who you've had the opportunity to meet mm-hmm. and they're homeless, mm-hmm. what does that look like? Does it look the same as what Barry just described? Mm-hmm. Or what do you see? Yes, I do think that what he's described is still what we're seeing. Um, I would just add a couple of things to that. One, um, I feel like the women that we're seeing um, have many of them, even if it's not been what they know as human trafficking, um, many of them have been coerced into doing um, sexual acts and um, not having choice with that. And so a lot of the women that I'm seeing, I I just see brokenness um, and that they didn't even see it coming. So um, just being abused in ways and and feeling like they have to do certain things um, in order to be taken care of from a male, whether that's financially or a roof over their heads. Um, And then you talk about this emotional connection. You know, they feel like they have to use their bodies in ways so that they feel like they are loved and they have value with that. Um, And and we're seeing more and more of that. And so um, that's a challenge to combat because uh, many of these women have um, had to do these things for years. And so then when our team comes around them and says, hey, we're going to love you, no strings attached. It's not easy to to trust that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not easy to accept that um, help and that love in a way where we are saying, we're not asking anything from you. We just want to make sure you're safe. We want to get you fed. Um, we want to get you into a place where you don't have to look over your shoulder, those kinds of things. And so I do think that we see that a lot. Um, you know, when I go out on street reach, at least one or two women are new each time that we mm. do. Um, and they all have that in common, um, mm. you know, that they are um, feeling like they have to use their bodies in ways to survive. Mm-hmm. So I would add that. Um, and then as far as, um, you know, on the men's side, um, we're, it's kind of sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but we're seeing younger ones and we're seeing older ones, if that makes sense. So, for instance, we're seeing a lot of um, early to mid 20 year olds mm-hmm. um, that just have lost connectivity, whether it's um, they were in foster care and then just aged out, um, whether that is um They had some substance abuse issues, things like that. And so they have disconnected from family for whatever the reason is. And so they've just been on their own um, and they end up on the streets. Um, But in addition to that, we also are seeing um, a lot of males um, that are anywhere between mid-60s, early 70s and older um, who are nervous and don't necessarily want to go into the nursing homes, but they need more care than we can provide here at the rescue mission. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it kind of puts us in a hard position because we see these men and and we know that they are um, needing shelter and they need care, but we also know that they're needing nursing services and things. And so um, I would say just looking at that, those would be my three things that I notice with the women and then the two different age groups for men. Sure. So, We've asked Barry a little bit about some of the challenges there, and I know there's probably more that I'll ask him about. Uh, but, Lamanda, what do you see as the most significant challenges that TRM and the team 
and frankly, those that are facing homelessness are going to experience over the next year or two. Like, mm-hmm. how do we how do we prepare for what might be coming? Sure, I think one of the things that's really big on my radar right now is just this sense of. I'm going to call it trauma uh, that COVID has um, really placed on us. Now here, you know, we really try to look at the good things that COVID brought about and, and um, technology and things like that. But Marion, my heart is broken for the level of isolation that COVID has caused um, a level of people really not being able to take care of each other and network and have the fellowship that our hearts and our minds so need mm-hmm. um, that I am just bracing for the ramifications for some of that. Um, you know, things, some things in places are starting to open up some more. And so on one hand, I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, people have for two years really been limited. We haven't seen their faces. We haven't seen their smiles. Um, a lot of people haven't gone places. And so now it's like we're reacclimating mm-hmm. into society a little bit. And then I'm thinking, what are relationships going to look like, Miriam, because of that? Um, so as far as what that does to our staff, um, I think that trauma-informed practices are already needed because of us dealing with substance abuse and mental health issues, things like that. But I also think there's going to be this sense of how are we going to build camaraderie with people? How are we going to help people know that it's okay to to uh, socialize again and all yeah. of those things? What does that look like? Um, and then facing decisions on what do we want our shelters to look like? Um, how do we keep numbers lower so we're giving really great quality care, but then making sure that everybody's taken care of as well? So I think we're going to be facing a lot mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, I think this year and, and probably in the years to come. So, Barry, there's been incredible support. You know, when you think about potentially closing the doors in 1986, but there were challenges in 2019. The community obviously has been very supportive and engaged, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Talk a little bit about what that has looked like over the years. Has it always been that way? Have people always kind of embraced the homeless? No. No, again, in 1986, it was kind of a dark time for TRM um, um, for different reasons. But as we began to build um, towards an awareness in the community, we saw a genuine um, compassion um, for neighbors as people begin to really understand. Uh, and it does take a lot of education. It takes a lot of connection. Um, I remember uh, in the old rescue mission building um, that no longer exists, parking lot and playground now, um, standing out in the street, uh, one uh, late Friday afternoon was a group of people, and one of those people was Dr. Carl Miniger. Mm. And uh, yeah, w- with me, and I was like in awe of Dr. <laughs> Carl is here, um, standing sure. out here saying, you know, Barry, we need for you to do something for the homeless mentally ill. Now, that was a, a challenge, a call <laughs> from Dr. Miniker, mm-hmm. you know. But a directive. Out, uh, a directive. And, 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 you know, and so when you had people like that to saying, hey, you know, you can do this. You need to do this. We're going to stand behind you to do this. And the kind of clout that he had in the community mm-hmm. at, at that time. And of course, the whole Miniger family and, 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 and Walt now, you yeah. know, just great, great guy. And we've had connections with him and, and uh, street outreach and different things, Operation Food Secure and, sure. and those kind of things. But, but I, I begin to see just kind of a gradual we believe in this. Of course, there's always controversy. There's a political football around poverty, yeah. you know, has been ever since, uh, well, time. Yeah. And then in 1964, when Lyndon Johnson declared war on poverty, it just became a political football at that point. So it wasn't like everybody agreed on how to do it. But people generally said, we, we see a place in Topeka that's doing something, and we want to get behind and, and support that. So then in 1989, we, uh, the old rescue mission building literally began to collapse. Mm. And we thought we were about out of business. And so I uh, went to the community, uh, was told that I was crazy, mm-hmm. and I was, mm-hmm. um, that we need to build a new rescue mission in Topeka. Yeah. And it was going to be um, nearly $2 million to do that. Yeah. Well, when you considered that uh, the budget was about $70,000 a year, <laughs> $2 million, that was like, you know, astronomical sure. in the future, never will happen. But people started giving, and they gave, and they gave, and they gave, and we, uh, by uh, 91, uh, we were able to move into that new building. And what happened? Well, just kind of digress a minute. I just knew the Lord was going to send along three or four major donors uh-huh. that were going to take care of this. I watched these universities get millions of dollars, you know, and if well, if they can do it for a science lab, we can do it for the homeless. Yes. And uh, as we were moving into um, raising money and people were saying, you know, you're grandiose, you're out of your mind, that's not going to happen to Topeka, Kansas. 
I didn't know if they were right or wrong, you know, but just knew we were supposed to give it a try because if we didn't, what's the option? Yes. And so uh, I'm uh, praying, God, send three or four big donors. And I'm at the uh, old rescue mission upstairs one morning. And this gal by the name of Bunny, she had, <laughs> yep, literally her name, <laughs> Bunny Lafayette. Um, she had uh, been from California and uh, uh-huh. she uh, was admittedly um, saying that she had been involved in prostitution and uh, drugs and those kind of things. And she was pretty well kind of worn out. Mm-hmm. But she was here in Topeka because there was a family member that she came to see and ended up staying here. And so she woke up one morning and uh, came out of her room and, and she goes, good morning, Barry. And she says, uh, hey, I just want to let you know, the Lord spoke to me last night. Okay. Spoke to Bunny, prostitute, uh-huh. California, uh-huh. drug addict. God speaks to everybody, right? Uh-huh. And I'm kind of doubting that God actually spoke to her. And, and he said, he just wanted to let you know that all the money's going to come in for your rescue mission building. Uh-huh. And I said, okay, thanks, Bunny. Really appreciate that. Turned to walk away like, uh-huh, right. I don't know if it's going to come in or not. And then she said, wait a minute. He told me to tell you one more thing. It's not going to be three or four big donors. It's going to be a lot of small donations. <sighs> And I looked at her. I had not told anybody that. I'd only prayed that to God. Well, I knew now that God was speaking through Bunny, who later became just an awesome friend of mine yeah. and uh, kind of a champion for the homeless before she passed away. At the end of the uh, of, of the financial uh, fundraising that we did for the what we call the main building, yes, it was six thousand seven hundred different donors. Wow. And so I look back at that, and three or four donors that could have bought that whole building, we would have not created a team. Now we went from just a handful of people to 6,700 investors, including the little girl who gave me four pennies. And she said, will this help? Oh, my goodness. And I said, what's your name, honey? She Uh gave me her name. Her name's on a wall in our dining room Uh amongst 6,700 people. So that was the team. That's how how we saw the community start embracing this. And then, you know, decades later, we would have more opportunities for people to engage. That's just so incredible. And, you know, I, I... I wish that people could experience what we experience here with how God shows up, like whether Mm -hmm. the way that he showed up with Bunny, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. and let you know, okay, Barry, I've got this. You're not alone, Mm -hmm. and it isn't just going to be three or four, Mm -hmm. right? So how beautiful is that? But there was also a story that you've shared about the old building Mm -hmm. and when they were tearing it down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I got a, they were tearing the, we were moving into the new building and uh, the uh, the old building on the north side of it began to shift and the upstairs was collapsing. And so we had to evacuate out of there. And and so um, I got a, a phone call one day from Mickey and uh, Mickey says, uh, don't worry about the building collapsing. There's three large angels that are holding up the building on the north side. And I go, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Mickey, thanks. And so, you know, in, in, in this world, you know, there's, there's people who hear from God and there's people who hear from something else, yes. you know, and sometimes just to hear from themselves. And of course, I'm not into this whole big angel holding up building thing. But anyway, uh, so I just said, thanks. And so um, we were moving into the building and there was a guy named George Champney who was a demolition expert here in Topeka. And he began to tear down that old building. And one day he came over and he says, you need to come take a look at something. And so this was a two and a half story, hundred year old building that people were living in Mm -hmm. that eventually began to collapse and eventually we moved them out of. But he said, I want you to look at this. And there were floor joists holding up a two and a half story native stone brick building, very heavy, by less than a quarter of an inch of the floor joists that had been eaten away by mildew, rot, termites, everything. And he said, there's no way this building should not have collapsed. And he said to me, kind of makes you think there's a God, doesn't it, Barry? Oh, my goodness. And all of a sudden, Uh in my mind, those angels holding Uh up the side Uh of that building to protect everybody from getting crushed came to fruition. Praise God. Isn't that just so amazing? Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing that happens here all the time. Mm -hmm. So, Lamanda, as you're thinking, as you hear all this, Mm -hmm. and you think about the community and the support that we get, Mm -hmm. and frankly, the support that we need on an ongoing basis, talk about that a little bit. You know, what what are your joys and concerns as it relates to that? Mm -hmm. I think, um, let's talk about the joys first. You know, I love when people show up from the community saying yes. Um, when people are solution based, um, when they hear of needs that we have, I mean, 
Miriam, we can put on Facebook that we need X, Y, Z. And usually within 24 hours, we have it. Um, And it might just be a mattress to someone that's donating it. It might just be a microwave that's been sitting in their garage um, that they need to get rid of. But the thing is, they don't realize that when they say yes, and they give us whatever item that is, or whatever funding it is, the donations, um, that we literally turn around and use it because there's someone waiting, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. God has aligned the need to the source, and that those needs are met when the sources are given. And that's what's done by the community. And so I don't know, I just find joy in in all of that, Mm -hmm. regardless of what it is. Um, Sometimes it's the volunteers. Um, They might not be giving items, but they're giving their time. And when you see someone just pull up a chair sitting next to someone at the map site while they're waiting, or you um, see the volunteers at the DC that are going and engaging with people in the car lines while they're waiting to get their food boxes, And you see that you realize that, yes, that person is given us time for that afternoon or all day, whatever they're doing. But I walk away going, man, I really hope that volunteer knows that they're showing up in a way that we need that help. Um, But also, if that person wasn't there, that story might not be shared Mm -hmm. from that person who's in need to that person. And so there's just joy because I think I connect it to kingdom work, Mm -hmm. not just what needs to be done that day, but I know that there are seeds being planted all over sure. our community by community members. And when you look at us right now, we only have 62 staff members. Mm-hmm. Those 62 staff members are rock stars um, and they're doing amazing things. But when you look at the impact we are making and we need to make, we're able to do that because of the community stepping up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nervousness uh, or concerns, you know, I would just say uh, there's a leadership transition happening right now. Um, Barry has um, done an exceptional job being an honest, hardworking, solution-based mindset. Mm -hmm. And he's done that. And um, his character is impeccable. He is hardworking. And so he's established that in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, I recognize that while I don't have the challenge or the charge to be Barry 2.0, um, <laughs> that I need to still strive to have his integrity and his character. And so um, a caution that I have is really also an excitement that I just hope people welcome me, um, that they give me a chance and that I realize that trust is not something that can just be given. It has mm-hmm. to be earned. Um, and I am willing to do that. You know, I'm the same person I am in my home as I am at church as I am here. Um, and just asking the community to give me that chance. Sure. Not that I am trying to be Barry, but I can say that I want to lead like Barry mm-hmm. and that I too am going to need the same community support that has been given to Barry and that my heart is to do things together because I know that that's truly how not only do we make a difference in one person, but it's also a difference in our community. Sure. If, I could, if I could speak into that just you a minute, you know, you know, Lament, I totally understand what your concern is there, but uh, a couple things to keep in mind is that uh, um, God's already chosen you mm-hmm. uh, for this. You don't mm-hmm. have to prove anything to him. He's yes. already made the decision, mm-hmm. and he's going to open up the doors for you. And uh, no, you're not going to be Barry 2.0. You're going to mm-hmm. be better than Barry. And that's, uh, that's uh, <laughs> be, very, be, yeah. very better uh, because that's what God does. Is he's yes. in, he loves this. He loves the people who are here so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, the people who are broken, um, his heart just, just bends for them. Um, we not only read about it, we see it. Mm-hmm. And then the people who help his heart bends for them too. Yes. And you just get to be in this unique spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, people are going to love you. They already do. So yeah. anyway. Uh, absolutely. I and I think, you know, improved. Yeah. Yeah. improved. Um, the other thing is we want TRM to remain for the next hundreds of years if Christ hasn't come back. Right. right. And so no, we want to solve this problem. Yes, no more poverty. Well, we're trying. We're trying. Um, but I don't you know, think that's biblical there. No, I'm not <laughs> sure. He's told us the poor will always be your interpretation. Um, but that's, that's part of my heart too, is, um, I want community support, not, not for a Lamanda thing, not for a Barry thing, but to take care Mm. of the people that we're trying to take care of. And that regardless of when Barry is gone, regardless of when I'm gone, whoever's after me, those kinds of things, we want the community to support the work of the rescue mission because we want the rescue mission to continue to thrive because people 
deserve it. Yes. And our community deserves it. Sure. I think so too. And and just not being afraid of the homeless. You know, that's yes. that's the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what I think is so great about the community engagement mm-hmm. piece mm-hmm. is that it helps dispel fear. Yes. Right? That I don't know what people's fears are, but mm-hmm. the fear of the unknown, the fear that they might be asked for something. So I, I think the continued community engagement helps with that as well. Yes. So Barry, you've talked a lot about the fairy tale view of homelessness or the Hallmark version mm-hmm. of homelessness. Mm-hmm. Explain that a little bit. What, what is that? Because we might have just described it a little bit. You know, we have angels and we have all these positive outcomes. <laughs> you know, we, we've kind of given it that happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk a little bit about what that means when you say that. You know, um, we like to um, depict things in a way that um, people will feel comfortable with, and I understand that. And homelessness has been one of those um, areas that has become popular over the years to uh, write books, make movies, and talk about. And we can talk about some really wonderful kind of uh, hallmark versions of, of this whole thing, but it's not uh, only that. There are times when it is glorious, but there's times when it, most of the time, it's very, very hard um, and brokenness. And uh, Lamanda talked about human trafficking, commodification of the person, selling someone, abusing someone. Um, the kind of suffering that we see in people's lives who, you know, let's, let's break it down to um, some practical things. The physical health of the homeless is very challenged. Um, they've been unattended to taking care of their teeth, for example. Um, it's not uncommon to see people that have totally rotted out teeth. Um, who who come to us who can't eat well because they they don't have the teeth to do it. It's been rotted up maybe because of do- drug addiction, but maybe just because they've never been to a dentist in their whole life. You know, that's just one thing. Um, people who have um, cancer, people who have uh, growths, people who um, can't see well, can't talk well, um, have not been educated well, those kind of things. Not to paint a picture that, that everybody who comes to us doesn't have ability or anything, but they've been neglected. And so what we're in the place for is to say, you know what, you matter. You know, maybe nobody's really helped you to see that before, or maybe you forgot it or whatever, or you don't believe it, but you do matter. And so maybe we need to help you get some new teeth. Maybe we need to get you to a doctor. Maybe we need to help you with the drug addiction or alcoholism or mental health issues or maybe some job training or an opportunity or just be with you because whatever reason, people apparently didn't want to be with you and for them to be able to build that trust. So it's um, it's not pretty. Um, it doesn't smell good most of the time. <laughs> you know, um, and sometimes the behaviors and the actions of people who feel really rejected. It's kind of like a, when I was a kid, uh, I was uh, um, in, in this wooded area and I heard a dog barking and um, I uh, found this dog who was ch- uh, got his chain caught um, on a piece of barbed wire and he was very skinny and um, I wanted to go take care of the dog and get him off the chain. But the closer I got, the more irate he got. And the more uh, vicious he got, and he was foaming at the mouth, barking at me. All I wanted to do was help him, but he didn't know that. He thought Mm -hmm. I was there to hurt him. Mm -hmm. And so fortunately, I was able to get uh, somebody who knew about dogs, you know, (laughs) was able to get in there, and they had to do something pretty drastic to get that dog off that chain. And later on, the dog would be okay, but we've run into a lot of people that think people are going to hurt them, Mm -hmm. and people are going to use them, Mm -hmm. and they bark at us. And sometimes they feel like that all we're there for is to use them and use them. And so it's not hallmark in that regards. Mm -hmm. It is we got to suffer with them to get down on their level, to understand them and to do whatever it takes to reach them, not just to get them shelter and get them food, but to get them hope. Yeah, exactly. So, Lamanda, in your 10 months, I'm sure that you've encountered some folks that wouldn't probably make it into the Hallmark class. Mm-hmm. Right. The Hallmark cast. <laughs> yes. They wouldn't they wouldn't be there. So describe that to our listeners. Sure. And also tag on to that then what you need our listeners to know or do. Yes. <clears throat> so one of the things that I struggle with, Miriam, is personally, is when someone is not ready for healing yet. Um, you know, when I see a need, it's like I want to just load them up, get them off the streets, bring them to the shelter, transition them into housing, get them food, and then they live happily ever after, right? right? Um, But that is not the case. 
Um, a lot of times this is years of neglect, years of substance abuse, um, years of job loss after job loss for whatever reason. And um, that can't just be fixed overnight unless it's a miracle, right? And so, um, you know, I think of someone out there, and, and I won't mention her name, but I'm still waiting on her healing day, Miriam. And and this is um, a lady that um, we just love and, and we connect with her. We talk to her over the weekend. She's out of state. She might be coming back. Um, but she's not been safe on the streets. Um, but she struggles to be in a congregate setting. Um, she struggles to be with other women and the large dining rooms and, and those kinds of things because of her past experiences. And so, um, you know, that looked like me first just kind of getting to know her, her story, realizing she's um, lost her children. And while she takes responsibility for things that she did to lose her children, that's still a hurt and a void. And it's not my place to judge her for losing her children. My place is to intercess for her and, and pray for the restoration that needs to happen and, and also pray for the children because I know that's impacted them as well. But then it's like the next couple of times I met with her, well, then I heard a little bit more of her story um, and learned about the marital problems and things like that. And, and that marriage ended in divorce. And then after that, um, it, there was some trust there after about three months. And so she uh, tried to stay in the shelter and, and that did not go well. That was not successful. And so I'm um, actually headed to work one morning and the street reach calls and says, hey, we've got so-and-so and, and she's sleeping on the lawn of the children's palace. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, approach her, make sure she's safe and, and then we'll go from there. And um, the person called me right back and said, Lamanda, she is here because she knew you were coming. Oh. And so she's waiting for you. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, Miriam, I don't want to say, well, she didn't listen to me the last three times. Mm -hmm. That's not my place. It's sure. not my place to do that. And so while, yes, we put accountability in places and yes, we try to have those expectations and we have to have tough love sometimes, we always have to be ready to be there yeah. and to forgive and to start clean and, and to have a new slate. And so we sat on the lawn and, and ate breakfast together and met those needs. And um, she's still not ready for healing yet, Miriam. Um, and that's okay. Yeah. But when she called this weekend, we were excited to talk to her. Mm -hmm. We checked on her and we told her when you're ready, we're all going to be sitting here waiting. And yeah. so people can look at that as enabling. People can look at that and say, well, you're not making her do X, Y, Z. But we have to realize that it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. It's got to be relational. Yeah. And we cannot be the people that say, oh, too late. That's not what the Lord does with us, mm -hmm. thankfully. Yeah. And so that's our mindset in our hearts here is to always try to help them when they're ready. Yeah, and praise God, God doesn't do that with us, right? Yes. Tell us, True. okay, enough, enough is enough. Mm -hmm. So Barry, it's been 36 years of stories like what Lamanda just shared. Mm -hmm. How do you not become cynical? Because of stories just like Lamanda shared. Mm -hmm. You know, um, he brought her back. Mm -hmm. um, he touched Lamanda's heart. He touches the hearts of volunteers, staff, contributors, um, and, and, and has, has a system of, in spite of disappointments, failures, whatever the case might be, he brings us back to that um, love that he has for us as well as those who are in front of us and just compels us to move forward. So how do you, you know, I don't get cynical about the homeless. I do get a little cynical about the systems that try to help the homeless sometimes. That's a yeah. whole other story yeah. because of, again, people will utilize human trafficking, poverty, hunger, homelessness for their own personal gain. Right. That I have a problem with. Sure. But not the people who are hurting and broken. Because at the end of the day, we sit down, um, we're the same. Mm -hmm. You know, they've had a different set of circumstances than I've had. And, uh, but we're the same. Yeah. We're the same before the Lord. He loves us all uniquely mm -hmm. and we're the same. And when we get into any other kind of thinking, we're wrong. Yeah. And when we realize that, uh, that we're here for each other because God's here for us and called us to be with each other, then it is, there's no room for cynicism. Sure. Sure. Well, we'll talk about this more in the weeks to come, but before we close, is there anything else you would like to say, Lamanda? 
You know, I think I would just like to thank everyone. You know, it's been, what, a week and a half Mm -hmm. since we did the press conference. Yes. And um, just the outpouring (laughs) of um, support. When I say support, nice comments on Facebook, cards that I'm receiving at the rescue mission, just things like that. And it's not just about me, but also those cards are saying, we support TRM. And that's really the message that I want to portray, that this is, even though I'm going to be the executive director, I'm for our team. And our team here, as far as staff goes, our team as far as volunteers go, and the community. And so just this level of um, kindness that has bubbled up and support multiple people saying, what do you need? What does your staff need? How can we help? Um, That's I've just been really thankful for that, you know, because there are, um, you know, Barry came in at a different time where he's, you know, talked about kind of leadership being absent. Mm -hmm. Mine's the opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the leadership has been remarkable here. And so there's great things about that. And just knowing that there's support and that that's going to continue um, in our efforts to help those who are in need. That blesses my heart. That's great. So, Barry, final comments and then take us out. Yeah, you know, I'm, just, I'm excited about this time, this season that we're in. Um, uh, you know, it's just to see what's happened um, the last 36 years, to see that it's not done, um, that God's going to take it forward. And uh, we have such a great team of people here at the Rescue Mission, great volunteers, great supporters, and a new great director coming in. And so we have a great big God who yes, pulls all that together that is going to just be ready for the next season of helping people in this community. And, and, and what's kind of fun, I get to be a part of it to some degree. I don't know what that looks like at this point, but uh, I'm not pushing up daisies yet. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be hanging around. But that is something uh, we were wanting you to plant. Cheer, by cheerlead. The way. Oh, Daisy. Oh, I'm, oh <laughs> yes. you need a little landscaping out here. It exactly. looks pretty good to me. Uh, you ought to see my yard. Yeah. This, uh, yeah. You don't want me doing that. So, but uh, thank you, Mary. I mean, thank you for asking us these questions as yes. we begin the, you know, here a few weeks just to kind of unpack uh, the past, the present and the future. Yes. And, uh, and we thank you for listening to our community, our mission. Uh, I think we're almost a episode 120, you're getting close anyway. 115. 115. Okay, five more, and then we'll be right there. But uh, we thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for being a part of Topeka Rescue Mission. Thank you for being a part of this transition of Topeka Rescue Mission. This is historical in this community and for this ministry and for what we're going to be doing in the future. If you'd like more information about the Topeka Rescue Mission today, you can go to our website at trmonline.org. That's trmonline.org. If you'd like to support Topeka Rescue Mission, you can push the Give Now button. Stay tuned for more information unfolding about the transition of the leadership at Topeka Rescue Mission, kind of staying on top of where we're going in the future. And also, if you'd like to join us on April the 22nd of this year, we'll have a time that you can meet Lamanda and uh, say hi to me as well. And we'll get more information out on that. Thank you for listening to our community, our mission. <laughs>